Last Sunday as I talked about those churches, I talked about the church of Philadelphia and talked about the word that comes out of that church that Christ has for it was the word repent. You have left your first love. We went over to Philadelphia and the word evangelize. God said, I give you an open door. Go do something about this lost world. I have just stirred in my spirit all week long about that some more. I want to take you to Revelation 3 today and go to the church called Laodicea. I'm sure you're familiar with this, but I think today I may perhaps be able to share some things you might not have known about Laodicea. But ladies and gentlemen, how many of you believe that God's still speaking to the church? How many of you believe that, that we need to hear the message from the Lord today? So I, I, wanted, I want to let the Spirit of God speak to us. Look with me at Revelation 3 and... Uh, let's look at uh, verse 14. And the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor, nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. These are strong words from the Lord. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anointing your eyes with salve that you may see. I'm going to make reference to that verse later on in the message. Don't forget that list of things. Verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. He is saying, I say these things not to be against you. I am on your side. I say these things because I need. I'm in relationship with you and there needs to be a change. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Verse 21, to him who overcomes. Let me stop right here and say this. Most of you know in the Gospels, we read it a few weeks ago, where James and John came up to Christ. And their mother actually put them up to it, brought her with them. We want to be on the left hand and the right hand when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, that is not mine to give. But let's fast forward that to the future that you and I have if we are truly born again Christians. Notice what he says, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I want to tell you something. If you're truly a twice-born man, woman, or young person, and you know that your name's recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, on the day when Christ takes us to the glory world, we will be seated with him in his throne. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a future you can guarantee. And we're looking forward to it. He who has an ear, not a physical ear, but a spirit ear in our soul, in our spirit, in your innermost being, hear what the Spirit says 
to the individuals who make up the church. I want us to hear the voice of the Lord this morning speaking to each of us. Father, bless us today. Let your word be rich. If a costing, Lord, let us understand that you come to us with love because the day approaches. I pray you'd anoint us to hear and to speak that the Christ might be exalted. Let everybody say amen. I think the book of Revelation is an awesome book. It has a message of hope. It is a message filled with many promises. It is a book that no one can forget having read it. This book, the Revelation, let me tell you, it's the revelation of Christ given by the Holy Spirit to John. It is not John's book, it is the revelation of Christ. The Holy Spirit assigned John to write it. But it says things to the believers. How many of you are in under that threshold, a believer? How many of you are a believer? How many of you are a believer? How many of you are a believer? Raise your hand, let me see. Wow, great. Listen, because it says things to believers. It says, it says this, Revelation says to us, someone has eternal plans for you. It says someone has gone to a lot of trouble of high price paid that will provide for you an eternal place. It says someone is reaching for you and will reach for your soul by wooing you, by drawing you, by bringing light to your spirit, by giving you a satisfaction for your soul thirst, and God will reach right up until the end day. Revelation says God loves you with everything in his being. Revelation has a choral, symphonic nature about it. It, it stirs up emotions and, and feelings as much as it does our ideas. The Spirit of God led John to write the Revelation in what is called Asian symmetry. That's why you see dragons and, and many of the, the allegory, much of the allegory that's used. So Revelation is a dynamic book. It hits us with a force in our spirit, yet it is tender and comforting because it is the revelation of the Redeemer. The result of Revelation becomes remarkable in our lives. It is both difficult to comprehend, it is also impossible to forget. You know what's amazing? Because we've heard of Revelation, even the spirit world knows that there is coming an Antichrist, there is coming an end to the age, there is going to be an eternal kingdom. Everybody, even in the satanic worlds, knows about the name or the number of the Antichrist, and it is what? What's the number of the Antichrist? What is it? 666. That comes out of the revelation. And whether you're on the saint side or the sinner side, this book affects you. You cannot forget many things about this book. It is the revelation of the Christ that says eternity is just at hand and the Lord asks us to pay attention. In it, perhaps, an interest to us today is the seven churches of Asia Minor. They represent, as I said last week, these seven churches represent the condition of the world, the condition of the church, the situation, 
if you will, the state of the last day church. Christ picked these seven churches, and he said, in these seven things, you will be able to see what the church will be like the days just prior to the coming of Christ. So these are important words. Ladies and gentlemen, let me declare to you that I know of nothing studying prophecy since I was 14 years of age. I do not believe there is one thing that it remains to happen between now and the catching away of the bride of Christ called the rapture of the church. He could come at any moment. He will not come unannounced, but he will come when you think not. So there is much more to this revelation. For purposes of the message today, I want to take our thoughts to this one church, Laodicea. I want the Spirit of the Lord to teach us something. Young people, I want you to hear me. I believe there's a good possibility the Lord will return in our lifetimes. Laodicea, in order to understand it and see what Christ is saying to this church, I want you to watch the introduction. Laodicea was a major urban center around 250 B.C. It was found by Antiochus II. It was named for his wife, Laodice. So they called it Laodice Laodicea. Laodicea was located almost 100 miles inland from Ephesus on the south bank of what was called the Lycus River. Here's some interesting things about this church that even perhaps a lot of Bible scholars may not be aware. First of all, let me say of Laodicea, it was a prosperous commercial center in its day. It was noted for black wool, and it was noted for its carpets. It had great commerce in selling the black wool from which they made carpets. Another thing it was noted for, it had a medical school in it, which was rare. And because of the development in science, it was also known for an salve called Phrygian ointment. There was a stone there that they would grind, and then they could form it into an ointment. And it was an salve that was known all over the then world that was very necessary for medication. And because Laodicea had no local water supply, and I want you to note this later on when we talk about it, they had to develop, and they did, a stone aqueduct system six miles away from a place called Hierapolis, or Heropolis. And by the time the water ran in that rock uh, aqueduct, By the time it traveled six miles and got to Laodicea, that water was tepid and distasteful. Once it got to the town of Laodicea, it had to be refreshed and it had to be treated by some means before it could be utilized for human consumption. There was also there at Laodicea a large Jewish population. And this Jewish population had amassed a great amount of wealth. So this was a very blessed place. This place was thriving. And as the letter of Laodicea begins, let me show you in the word that the Spirit of God uses powerful language to get the attention of this church. 
As a matter of fact, let me back up and just go back. If I could start at the very first church, the seven churches, there's something here that's important to notice. If I went to somewhere downtown or in Oklahoma City at a major intersection, and I was dressed like this, and you were to approach all from, from people from four directions, and you were there, and I said for you to stop, with everybody in that intersection, I might not get anybody to stop. I might get one or two. But there's traffic coming from all directions. I, I, I might not get anybody to stop. You know why? Because I don't have the, the, the place, the looks of authority. And I think if you drove up this afternoon and saw me out there, you'd go, we need to call an insane asylum. It's finally happened. Pastor went totally off his rocker. You can laugh there. It won't break your jaw. Good. Here's the difference, though. If you leaving church today, go to a light that is not there, and there is a uniformed officer there, with all the, the, the protection upon him, with a badge on him, and he has a whistle, and he stops traffic, that traffic will stop. And then he'll move this one, it'll stop, and on and on, you get the idea. You know why that traffic will be controlled by that officer? is because he is a recognized person and authority to do so. If you will study the seven churches of Asia Minor... Before you ever hear one word that God says good about that church, or before you ever hear a word of correction of love for that church, each time before the Spirit says to the church, it gives an authority to everything that is about to be said. This is not some self-proclaimed prophet. This is not... Someone who says, listen to me, I'm a mighty man of God. This is the authority of the throne of God. And the authority is recognized. Such is the language when we get to verse 14 for the church at Laodicea. Let's look at it again. And the angel of the Lord of the church write, These things says the Amen. The faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God. This is not just a credential Pastor Brooke speaking. This is not just somebody who wants attention. This is not some self-proclaimed church leader. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the Amen. That word is an Old Testament Hebrew word, and it spoke to this powerfully wealthy Jewish population. The Amen describes the Christ. It means this is the foundation. And in the text, we read this foundation is faithful and it is trustworthy. This word Amen is used to denote the authority of Christ is the foundation and the foundation on which this church is built. The authority is about to speak to it. And he goes on, we just read it, the beginning of the creation of God. I want us to pay particular attention to how we read that word. The Greek New Testament, this word beginning is arche. That's the word. 
And I want to read it to you again because it's important. It says, the beginning of the creation of God. This is the faithful and true witness and the beginning of the creation of God. I want you to understand something. This does not mean that God first created the Christ. What this means is, there has always been a God. There has always been the Son. There has always the Spirit. And this is one of the triune Godhead that is speaking, and He is the one who spoke and creation came into being. That's the kind of authority that speaks to the church. This foundation, He is not saying, Jesus is part of the creation. Rather, he's in reference to the Christ's part itself in creation. The created order has come into being by a triune God. And here's how it happened. The Father thought it. The Son spoke it. And the Holy Spirit performed it. And the one who spoke everything into creation now speaks to this church. I was raised in a very country home, but raised in church, and I was raised to fear God. I want you to understand a right connotation of the word fear. It means reverential awe. But ladies and gentlemen, I've been serving the Lord and following Him since I was five years of age. And still to this day, I have a reverential awe and fear of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I don't run around using my life for an excuse to say, good old God, I can do anything I want, any way I want, any time I want. I want to tell you there is a God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit to someday whom which I will give a report. Suddenly, without warning, here, this authority lays a heavy charge against this church. Let me, let me talk to you a little more about the seven churches. In the seven churches, in two, Christ found some good without specific ill. In other words, he spoke to them, you have this and this and this. I want you to bring this up, make this happen. But to four, Christ spoke the good, but there was ill mixed with it. Syncretism. The church trying to serve the God of creation and the God of damnation at the same time. Syncretism. And then to one, this authority, Christ had not one good thing to say. It was the church at Laodicea. And again, using language to strike the attention, suddenly, watch this, this church by the Creator was accused of being like their water supply. Listen, God speaks, ladies and gentlemen, in the real world. Doesn't he? This book deals with the real world. Can you say amen? It does. They're accused of being like their water supply. Lukewarm. Nauseating. Intolerable. And what is the message that the authority speaks? You are presently unacceptable to God. Let me back up and say, this is the picture of the last day church. But there are reasons. 
that this authority spoke this to the church. Here's what he says. You say you are rich. You say you have goods and increased, and indeed you have. You say you have need of nothing. You say you are prosperous. Let me tell you what that means. The Joy Boys had preached the message that you can serve God and you can be wealthy and wealthy and wealthy and you can drive all the... Let me tell you something about Scripture. It has to be absolutely, universally applicable. You cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. All the blessings of God, ladies and gentlemen, have never, ever meant to ever take the place of God being number one in your life. But we have this tendency as human beings, when, we're, when we have nothing, when we can do nothing, when we're struggling, we say, oh God, help us. And then when He does and blesses us, then we sort of, we don't say it with our mouth, but we have this tendency in our nature, well, I don't need anything now, I'll see you later, God, if I ever need you again, things are going pretty good right now. Say ouch or something. <laughs> and to strike a, a, a poetic balance, if you will, He said, you do not know it. We read it. You do not know it. You're actually wretched. You are miserable. You are poor and blind and naked. He's talking about their spiritual life. You're going through the motions. Paul wrote to Timothy in the last days, people will Deny that they will have a a likeliness of God. They will worship. But they don't have any power in their life. And they deny what they believe by the way they live or by the way they don't live according to the word. There'll be a falling away. I think the lukewarm church and Paul were seeing the same vision. But what is the problem? What is the problem with the last day church? Well, let me tell you, it's a bittersweet irony. So let's hear it. What, what, is, the actual, what is the actual assessment of Christ to this last day church? They were wealthy. They had increase. They actually thought they needed nothing. They were prosperous. So what's the problem? Here's what it is. These Christians had become lukewarm because they have assigned virtues to themselves. You know what they were doing? They were taking all the blessings of God and all the gifts of God and all the things that they had been taught that they are in Christ, which we are, but they attested it, the virtues to themselves. And because of that, they became extremely self-confident and extremely arrogant. I just have to ask you, have you seen any arrogance in the Christian world in the last 25 years? Have you seen people that take the place of Christ and you wonder what happened to Christ in the pulpit? And they did that to the extent they were blinded with a steady deterioration that had turned them, I wrote it like this, into hollow shells 
reaching out to hollow shells, hollow shells. Going through the motions but having no power. I want to ask you today, let's really look what power does the church really have? What are we really doing in America with the church? I will tell you this, if the world has its way, it's going to push us to the periphery where we have very little power at all. It's happening all the time. Even in the school campuses now, believing young people, our believing young people, and even our people in the world, and in our laws, and everything that we have in our law, they think the Christian is the problem. Because we hold a standard that the world doesn't want to hold. And we have values and virtues that come against the flesh. And we want to give vent to the flesh no matter what it wants. If it's food, if, if it's liquor, if it's sex, if whatever it is, if it's sin, we want it. And we don't want anything. We reject anything that limits us at all because we become God to ourselves. And we're confident and we're blessed and we can get it our, on our own if we need to. We don't need God. Whew. You say, Pastor, that's pretty straightforward. Here's a Here's a church, people, here's a person who has overestimated their own value. Pastor, what do you mean? Here is self-esteem, 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 self-esteem gone to seed. I want you to look at that in our society. There's a message coming out of the center of our American society that life is all about you. You are the most important thing in the universe. How many of you know I'm telling us the truth? That you deserve, you deserve, you ought to get this, you have the rights to this, the rights to this, and you get to do this, you get to do that. And we have a whole generation of young people who think that they deserve everything, and now we're propagating into their mind they deserve everything for nothing. Young people, hear me. I don't care what some popular personality may say. Nobody, everybody can't have everything free and somebody not pay for it. And you can take that to school bills or medical or, or highways or taxes. You can take that anywhere you want. I just made it myself an enemy about most people, but that's all right. It is true, isn't it? Somebody's got to pay for it. Here's people who have, they have this concept. Well, I, I, I mean well. I intend to. Here's another one of the things that happens. Get, get so messed up in life. Get so pressured in making a living. Get so pressured in, in, in getting my kids time to this game and this game and this. And, and making the bills happen and, and getting church on Sunday morning. Running to a vacation and all the pressures doing everything. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We intend to do this. And they think time's on their side. But they never have the time. Now it's quiet, isn't it? It, it is a picture of not staying connected. It's a picture of drifting. It's a picture of drifting and not making any effect. 
Saints, lukewarmness is a spiritual condition that gradually becomes a way of life. It blurs and dulls the senses and the colors. And we need to ask the question in America, in churches anymore, whatever happened to sin? Because now we can do anything and it's okay. But I will tell you this, keep sowing and it will be reaped. I love you enough to tell you, keep sowing it and it will be, it will be returned in a harvest. Well, I'm just going to get in more trouble here. We, uh, we've legalized marijuana in many states now. And let me just tell you something. The problem is that we didn't take it through like we do normal drugs and do it really medical. We just opened the door so it can be here. And now you can have marijuana in any form you want. And if you don't think it is not the gateway drug, you need to wake up, ladies and gentlemen. It is the gateway drug. I can do this. That gets to be not enough. Then I can do this. Legally, for genuine medical purposes, regulated because society has to be regulated by laws and rules. Without it, we're in chaos. That's a different story. I'm going to make a back door on the platform right here when this is over. <laughs> what happens is we get blessed. We have it too good. If we need it, we'll go get it on our own and we don't need God and we begin to drift and it begins to blur and dull our senses. It dulls the color of our lives. And it's setting into it, and see if you don't see this, there's this low-grade cynicism there's this low-grade paranoia. There's this low-grade immorality. And it always results in fatigue and finally despair. And Satan will have the church today to say, this is really not true. You people are archaic. It never was sin. And you're playing the part of the fools. And we go, oh, well maybe Pastor Brooks is way out too far out and he's just a crazy old man. Now the last part may be true. <laughs> but I want to say this. All that is out of the love of Christ saying, listen to me. Listen to me. I spoke and you came into being. Listen to me, long before we ever made this earth Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I could look down the annals of time in the 2,000 years and I could see you. I knew I formed your mom. I formed your dad. I put that seed in him. I put that egg in her. I knew they were going to consummate you. And at the very second that that sexual union was there I had a soul and a spirit ready for you you are no accident I planned you read the psalm I have fearfully and wonderfully made you and I brought you into this existence for this time for an absolute eternal purpose 
That is the importance God puts on every one of you and all of us. There are no accidents. God had it all planned. As a matter of fact, read Jeremiah. He said God wrote the inning and then he wrote the beginning to meet it. There isn't anything that surprises God. That's the kind of God we serve. And so we're here for a purpose. Watch this. He offers hope. He offers the church. But I just think this is so ironic. For you Bible people, listen to this. The Christ stands, the creator, and to this church that has, that has drifted. To this church, he says, he offers the church. <laughs> he offers the church in the town of Isav and wolves and gold and wealth. He offers them the very gifts they thought they already owned. He says, however, watch this. Buy of me gold. How many of you know his gold is not the same as the metal? Buy of me white garments. Buy of me eyesalve. Those were the things for which they were noted. And he says, you don't have that. Notice the letter is stern, yet it's tender. The Christ assures them of his love. The Christ is not scolding this church. He is saying, I am fighting with you. I am on your side. This is what I've called you to do. I want you to be soldiers. I want you to love me. I want you to have my power in you. I want you to know everything about your eternity. But while you're here, there's an assignment. And without the fire and the power that I give you, you will be drifting. I'm calling you to a revival of my presence because I have an assignment for you. What are you doing on earth? Let me answer that for everybody here. You're here for a whole lot more reason than collecting the faces of presidents on green paper and put in a concrete room. How many of you know what I just talked about? You're here for a much higher purpose than that. You're here for a much... Young men, young women, God ought to have first chance at your life because He'll do things in your life you never even imagined. Don't let Satan ruin your opportunity to do what God has purposed you for. You know why your mom and dad had you? It's because God ordained you to come into their home. And you know why they bought you the booties and the diapers and the milk and the eggs and the bacon? Ain't God good? And pancakes and chocolate and candy and Christmas and tennis shoes? They cost a hundred dollars. Pair of jeans that somebody cut up with a knife so they can charge twice as much as they're worth. <laughs> By the way, I'm just going to say this. I will never, as long as I live, buy another Nike tennis shoe. Well, I'm sure you shout me down. If you're against my flag, I'm against you. Just that simple. And I just have the guts to say it. Yeah, but I like Nike tennis shoes. I'll just wear somebody else's. Ladies and gentlemen, are, why are we so quiet? Are we afraid today? Are we drifting? Are we afraid to stand with the fire of God in us? You know why they bought the candles and the birthday cakes? You know why they bought the shirt and the dress on your back, the shoes on you today, the glasses if you have them on? Do, 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 you, do you know 
Do you know why they pay the utility bills, the electric bill? Listen, it's pretty tough to go to the bathroom without water, isn't it? Do you know who pays that water bill? You know who insures that house? You know who provides that car? You know who insures that car, puts gas in it and oil in it? You know who puts you in school? You know why all that's happening? Because they know you're an assignment from God and they want to help you find what God wants you to do with your life. You are the most important thing in your parents' eyes. And ladies and gentlemen, you and I are the most important thing in the eyes of our Creator. Watch this. He's He's stern, but he's tender. He assures them he's on their side. I I write this in my own imagination, but just give me some room to be imagination. I see the church lulled asleep. I see the church has lost its fire. I see it's blended with the world, and sin no longer exists hardly. The only thing that might be sin now is an abstract lie and murder. But I see the Lord, if you will, taking water. And I see Him throwing it on their face and saying, Wake up. You're my children. I've given you everything. Wake up. Wake up. And He's challenging them because His beloved children mean so much to Him. Young people, ask your mom and dad if they want you to be successful. Ask your mom and dad if they really, really love you. Don't you listen to some Johnny-come-lately-three-week-ago friend that turns you against mom and dad. Let me tell you something. They don't have enough brains to keep their ears apart. (laughs) Okay, okay, I shouldn't have said it. Mom and dad, you ought to say amen. God stands outside the church knocking, trying to get in His own institution that He bled and died for because we're afraid we'll offend somebody or we're afraid that our world will come against us. Ladies and gentlemen, greater is He that's within us than He that's within this world. And we better get that because we're going to face that. Did you know that? Young people, To my grandchildren, if we don't have a revival in America, I tremble at what they're going to encounter. And it isn't very far off. So that's the introduction to my message. That's five pages. You ready for the sermon? I didn't get many amens. Here it is. It's this simple. It's this important. 2019, the church of the latter day, here's what's important. Will somebody open the door? Two points. Will you open the door? The Christ is trying to get in His church to make the church effective. You are the church. Are you effective for Christ? Does the pastor keep having to say, clap your hands? Does the pastor keep having to say, say amen? Does the pastor keep having to try to make us an exciting place with some life in it? Ladies and gentlemen, the church had better get some life in it. And I want to say this. I want to say this for every pastor across this country. I wish every one of the persons sitting in the pews across America today in church by the millions, I wish you knew what it was like to be up here preaching and have the intensity and the passion and, and, and try to get people to understand we may be the church of Laodicea and we don't have any life. And I say, get some life. And just... 
If you had any idea how that hurts, if you had any idea how I depend on some of you, because you don't just come here to be takers, you come here to be givers. And I'm not talking about just about finance. I'm talking about there may be somebody dying next to you in their spirit, in their soul. There may be a tragedy in their life and they need somebody who shows them life and believe. These people believe this. These people are different than me. We need to show them a chance. Say amen. Wow. We, we have to offer life. So here's the two points. Christ is calling us to open the door of the church. That means get him in us. And we're required to open the door for the lost. Open the door of your life to let him come in the church because we are the church. But there are millions of people on your campus and in your world. And God says, you unlock that door because the millions are out here soul thirsty. And they don't even know where to look. They're trying every door the enemy offers. But it's the cry of their heart. They're soul thirsty. They need you young people. They may be the popular kids on campus. They may be all kinds of... They need you if they don't know God. They don't know which door to go into. Here's the thrust. You and I must be His ambassadors and open the door of our life to be what God wants us to be. So church, I want us to say this. I I want to tell you, I hear knocking. The Christ is knocking, trying to get some life back in the church. Some sanctified, righteous living. Putting aside other things that Christ might be first in our life. The world is reeling and rocking, searching for a door. He woos and draws and he pleads. Ladies and gentlemen, the Christian has to care enough to open the door for the sinner. They don't know which door to open. So my question and my message to you this morning is, will you open the door? Will someone open the door? Will someone open the door? May we respond today, Pastor, in a resounding yes. Here's what that means. And I'm through. God, I come to you in humility. I come to you, God, and I will let you umpire my life. I will let you take charge of my life. I will let you give me direction. I will give my soul, body, mind, and spirit to you, Lord. I will follow your word. I will follow your instruction. God, put your spirit in me. I want to have a supernatural power in me that somebody can see because I do love my friends that do not know the Lord. I need to be a mirror for the face of Jesus. I don't want to go along with the crowd. I'm not going to compromise. Lord, I'm going to try to live a godly life. But you bring life to me. And then, secondly, I will be sensitive to the lost. At the gas station or the restaurant or the hospital, on the street, at the school, at the job, I will be sensitive to the lost. And with discernment, I will be willing to go out of my way to try to open a door for them so they know the genuine way to eternal life. That's the two things God asked this church to do. That's what he's asking us to do. Let me show you how simple that is. The other day, I went to McDonald's. Uh, How many of you like McDonald's? How many of you don't like McDonald's? 
Well, see, that's what I need to do is ask you what you don't like because there's a lot more hands up. There's one thing I really like at McDonald's. I like McDonald's french fries. How many of you like McDonald's french fries? Even if you don't like McDonald's. Well, we're going to have an altar call in a minute and you can come repent. I like Brahms french fries. They just don't cook them hard enough, so I tell them, make them crispy, they were good. I don't like soggy french fries. You see, I know the Greek, and that's... <laughs> I, I was in the rest... McDonald's the other day had to run in, and uh, I, people are dying and going to hell every day. Young people, people are dying and going to hell every day. Mom and dad, people are dying and going to hell every day. This sin-sick world is blinded. And if we don't have revival, millions are going to go to hell. Let's just say it like it is. You see, they, they, they want to know, they, they don't want to think there's a hell anymore. They say, no, there's no such thing as hell. But they sure want to hang on to the heaven side of it. Can I tell you, the same book talks about both of them. Can't have one without the other. The young man was at McDonald's, the french fries. You thought I lost my place, didn't you? I said, man, I like these french fries, don't you? And he said, yeah, I like these french fries. Something like that. And I mentioned Brahms. If you make them, cook them, they're good and that sort of thing. I said, there's something else I like that I'm really fond of. And what do you think he's thinking? I mean, a dip cone or something, because God makes those. Don't you think God makes dip cones? Yes, He does. He ordained it from the foundation. <laughs> I said, there's something else I really love. And he said, what's that? And I said, I love God, the creator of my soul and my spirit. And I have His peace in me. And I'm just wondering, young man, do you know anything about that God and that God of peace like I do? And he said, yes, I do. And he smiled, told me where he went to church. I'm glad he knows, but I wonder how many millions are out there that don't. And we never talked to him about french fries. How many of you just understood what I said? We don't talk to him about french fries. All I'm saying is that's a way and a means that we can strike a conversation because, ladies and gentlemen, every human being on this terrestrial ball is headed for a destiny somewhere. And you need to open the door to your friends. That's what God's called us to do. Pastor, what if they don't open that door? What if they don't do that? You're not responsible for that. You're only responsible for opening the door. Well, what if they say no? They don't reject you. They're rejecting the Christ and His Word. But don't lose a friend because you're lukewarm and you don't have gold and I salve of the Spirit of God. And don't let Satan control your destiny. We're about there. We're about ready for the end. Do you know even the secular, satanic world's thinking we're about to come to the end of the age? Oh, well, everything's gone on like it always has, and people thought that for years. I'm going to preach one of these days on what happened to the, to the uh, promise of His coming. I'll preach to you about that. I just want to be frank and honest with you today and tell you, and I know I've been long-winded, every person in this building is going to spend eternity somewhere.
And I love your soul and your spirit enough that I'm going to warn you whether you like me or love me or not because this book is true.